Good evening and welcome to church tonight and thank you for tuning in tonight for our uh, Bible study. Uh, I hope tonight will be an encouragement and a blessing to you. Uh, I know that I'm not Pastor Yeomans. We look a little bit different, um, but I'm very thankful to Pastor Yeomans for the opportunity to preach tonight. Uh, Pastor Yeomans and Beth and the kids got a chance to get away this week and I'm so thankful that they did and were able to do that. I think they're spending uh, this morning or today in church with their family, which is a blessing. And uh, Again, I want to say thank you to Pastor Owens for this opportunity. And I want to say publicly tonight, church family, uh, how thankful I am for the Owens family and for their leadership in our church. Uh, over the last few months, um, Pastor Owens have done an, an incredible job of leading our church. And through difficult and uncertain times, uh, no pastor has ever led a church through COVID-19 before. There's no manual on that. Um, but I believe he's done a great job, and I'm thankful to be here under his leadership. And so I want to say that to him tonight. And I hope that they had a great time, a refreshing time away. But I'm looking forward uh, to jumping into the Word together tonight. We're going to be picking up and continuing the series that Pastor Yeomans has been going through in 1 John. We're in, the, in 1 John chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles tonight, go ahead and open them or pull out your phone. Get them open to 1 John chapter 3. It's where we're going to be this evening. 1 John chapter number 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 11. 1 John chapter 3. And begin reading in verse number 11. The Bible says this, For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, 
because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray this evening as we begin. Father, I pray that tonight you'd be with us. I pray that our time in the word together would be encouraging, it would be edifying. I pray that you would help us to better understand this passage and that because of our time together, we'd be better equipped to serve you, to love each other, and to love the world. And so I pray that you'd help us tonight. You'd be with us. Guide me as I preach. And uh, we'll thank you for that, Lord. We do love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Aloma and I recently, just uh, earlier this summer, celebrated our two-year, our second-year anniversary. It's been just over two years uh, since we got married. And when we got married, we immediately began to get a certain question asked of us. We get asked this question all the time. In fact, uh, I got asked it twice this week. It started, at all, it started right away, and it's never stopped. And this is the question we get asked. When are you guys going to have kids? When are you going to settle down and start a family? We get to ask that question all the time. And you know what? Alum and I, we don't have a family yet. Uh, maybe one day we'll get there. Uh, but one thing we do have and we love to enjoy is we have some nieces and some nephews. Uh, on my side of the family, uh, the Tyrrell side, we have four, two nieces and two nephews. Uh, my oldest sister, Brack, and her husband, Caleb, have four beautiful children. And then on Aloma's side of the family, uh, her older sister, Precious, and their husband jo- her husband, Joseph, have one son. So we have one nephew, uh, and we love him very, very much. And we love our nieces and nephews. It's one of our favorite roles in life. We have all different kinds of roles, whether it be employee or husband or youth pastor, or whatever it might be, but one of my favorite things to be called is Uncle Levi. And of all the awesome things about being an uncle and seeing your nieces and your nephews run around, by far, my favorite thing is seeing uh, the characteristics and the traits and the mannerisms that we know to be true of our siblings now passed down to the next generation. It's so cool to see when your nieces and your nephews begin to look and begin to act like uh, their parents. And you know, our church right now is going through an exciting time where um, we just had recently uh, Kaylee and Kyle who uh, had a baby. And then uh, last week we're celebrating with uh, Derek and Kayla and baby Isla. And we're expecting uh, for Kyle and Chelsea. And we're excited. And there's something so amazing to see as that baby is born and, and to see in our nieces and nephews, oh, that, they have their mom's nose or they have their dad's eyes. And as they begin to grow and talk and walk, they act like their parents. You know, I can even see this in my own life. As I get older, there are certain sayings uh, that I make or mannerisms that I have. And I'm like, ah, man, I am turning into my father. I'm just like my dad. I can hear it coming out of my mouth. I'm like, that's exactly what my dad would say. But it's awesome to see, because you know what? The truth is this. There are certain characteristics, mannerisms, or trait in those young nieces and nephews that make it so clear whose family they're a part of. There are certain characteristics about my nieces and nephews. You look at them and you say, man, they are a Tyrrell, or they're a Nor, or they're a Roswell. That, That is no question whose family they're a part of. In the book of 1 John, really, John is writing this epistle to help us to understand whose family we are a part of and what are some identifying characteristics and traits and mannerisms of children of God, of the family of God. 
John's not so much telling us in this book uh, who can be saved, but telling us who is saved. And he's giving us a, an example of the children of God and the children of the devil, the children of the world. There are certain traits in young children, developing children, that clearly identify which family they're a part of. And there are certain traits in the life of a true believer and the life of an unbeliever that make it very clear what family they're a part of. Last week, Pastor Yeoman showed us, um, he kind of began to show us this when he talked about uh, sin and righteousness. And he showed us that the children of the devil, the children of the world are marked by their sin, and that the children of God are marked by their righteousness. And we're going to continue to look uh, further into this chapter tonight. You know, sometimes in the ministry of Jesus, or all throughout the apostles' ministry, or really all throughout the scriptures, the Bible uses comparisons to help us to understand scripture. It, it takes something that he's, Jesus is trying to teach us, and then it takes something that we already know, and it compares the two. So it sheds light, sheds information that we already know on some things that we don't know, and it helps us to understand and to learn. We see this in Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field. Or look at the, the ministry of Jesus as he describes himself. He says, I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the vine. If you abide in me, and you are the branches. How about this one? In, the, in the, the gospels, we see this. Ye are the salt of the earth. Or ye are a city. You're the light of the world or a city on a hill. You see, the Scripture is using these comparisons, these examples, to help us to understand the teachings of Scripture. But tonight, we're not going to see a comparison. I think it maybe would be easier if we were, but we're not. We're going to see the opposite, not a comparison, but tonight we're going to see a great contrast. And tonight, John is going to teach us about those two families, the children of God, the family of God, and the children of the devil. And he's going to con contrast them in a way that we understand clearly which side we are on and which side others are on. Now, I want to say this as we begin. The book of 1 John clearly talks about, and you're going to talk about that as we continue in the study, the idea of trying the spirits or testing the spirits. But I believe tonight there's going to take some serious self-evaluation. And I don't say that because I want anyone watching tonight to, to doubt their salvation or question their, question their salvation. But I truly believe that the person whose eternal security you should be most concerned with is your own. And the person whose eternal security I should be most concerned with is my own. And so it ought to uh, encourage us to take an honest self-evaluation of the scripture and of our hearts tonight. But I'm excited to look at these contrasts tonight. And tonight I want to show you three major contrasts from the text that clearly identify, just like those nieces and nephews, identify which family people are a part of, both the, children of, uh, the family of God or the family of the devil. So first I want us to notice together the contrast between hatred and love. Between hatred and love. Notice with me in verse 11. The Bible says this, For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Jump down to verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. John makes it so clear here in the scripture, and John is very black and white in his teaching. But he makes it so clear that true believers, true, true children of God, are always marked by love. 
They're identified by love. It's the identifying mark or characteristic. It's the, the jersey that we wear that lets everyone know what team we're a part of, what family we belong to. It's our love. In verse 11, we see that this is the message that we've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. You know, this is not, when John is writing this, this is not a new commandment. This is not some new or brand new idea that he's telling the church, hey, maybe we should try loving each other. You know, the message of the the church today still is in 2020 that we should love one another. But that's not new. It's not like God said, hey, you know what, with the social climate today in 2020, maybe we should try uh, loving one another. Maybe that should be the thing that we're identified with. No, this is the message that, that, that we have heard in the scriptures from the beginning. This has always been the mark of the children of God. Look back even all the way to the Old Testament in Leviticus. Chapter 19 and verse 17, the Bible says this, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. This is not a new commandment to the family of God. The commandment to love our brothers and our neighbors, it wasn't even new to the ministry of Jesus. This wasn't something that Jesus brought around. No, this is a commandment all the way in the Old Testament we see. But we do see Jesus mention this in the upper room discourse as he meets for the final time with his disciples. In John chapter 13, the Bible says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. Once again, we see Jesus is making it so clear. This is the mark of a true believer. It's love for one another. But notice with me tonight, Jesus doesn't say that we're, we're marked or identified as a child of God by our love for the world, for the people who are outside this walls, for the neighbor, and we're not marked by our love and loving them to Christ and showing the love of Christ in our community. No, that's very important. We have whole ministries in our church called Love Works where our whole goal is to go in the community and serve people and put hands and action to the love of Christ. That's a great thing. But that's not what the Bible's talking about when it comes to our identifying mark as a child of God. No, it says that you have love, in our original text in 1 John, that you have love for the brethren. Jesus is sitting with his disciples in John 13. He's sitting there and saying, hey, uh, James, the way that you love John and John, the way that you love Peter, that's the way that the world is going to know. Remember, we're talking tonight about a family, a family of God. Let me ask you this question. Why would anyone want to join the family of God if it's not a loving family? If you give me a choice to choose which family I want to be a part of, and I praise the Lord I have an amazing family, a loving family, but if you're giving me a choice to join a family, I guarantee you I'm going to choose a loving family. I'm not going to choose a broken and divided family. That's why God is so uh, clear in this area, and the scriptures are so clear that we are marked by our love for each other. Why would a lost and dying world want to come and find comfort and restoration and peace in a church where there's no love one for another. I want you to notice, because as we said in verse number 11, that loving our brother or loving our neighbor is the commandment that we've seen from the beginning. But if you notice in John 13, Jesus said this, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. At first glance, this could seem like a contradiction. However, we must understand what is new about this commandment that Jesus is giving. 
It's not the commandment in and of itself, I don't believe. Here's what it is. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, and this is the important part, as I have loved you. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's doing what he did all throughout his ministry. He's upping the stakes. He's raising the stakes. He's saying, hey, you heard it this way, but here's what I'm telling you. You know, and all through his ministry, he said, hey, this is what you heard, but I tell you this. You heard it so like this, but I tell you this. Here's what he's saying. You've always known from the beginning that you should love each other, but here's how I'm raising the stakes. I am saying that you should love each other the way that I have loved you. Because what happened in Jesus' ministry, love came down to earth and lived a sinless and perfect life and demonstrated and gave us an example of what love does and who love is and how love serves and how love sacrifices. That's what's new about the commandment to the New Testament church and the commandment to the disciple. He says, hey, the way that I have demonstrated my love towards you, that's the way you have to love one another. So since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the scriptures and the children of Israel, through the ministry of Jesus, to the apostles in the early church age, and and all the way now to hear us, Bible Baptist Church 2020, the mark of the true believer has been love for the brethren. But I want us now to go back to that same conversation in John with Jesus and the disciples and look at John chapter 15. The Bible says this in verse number 17, These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And here we see the great contrast. The children of God are, are, are identified for their love for each other. But the children of the world, the people who are of the world, are identified by their hatred. Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, don't be, don't be surprised. Marvel not that the world's going to hate you. If you're living after me and you're following my example of love, they hated me. What makes you think that they won't hate you? Because the world hates the righteous people. We saw that last week in the contrast between sin and righteousness. And we see a great contrast between the family of God and the family of the devil. We have the family of God marked by love and the family of, of the devil marked by hatred. Even in verse 13 of our text here tonight, the Bible says this, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. If you are truly a believer, you will have love for the brethren. You will love the brethren. You'll love the saints, love the church, love the people that God has surrounded you with. If you don't, you cannot be a child of God. It makes it so clear and so black and white here in John. So we see a great contrast. The world is marked by hatred, and the Christians are marked by love. The world is of their father, the devil, and the Christians are of their father, God. But I want us to notice, secondly, not just a contrast between hatred and love, but a contrast between taking a life and giving a life. You see, I want to take this contrast between hatred and love to its full and final form. Because hatred in its final form really is murder. Hatred is an attitude, is an internal attitude that affects our external actions towards others. Hatred, when it is finished, is murder. They're the same attitude. They're the same internal attitude. We see that here in the scriptures in verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. 
And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. We know that we, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So we see the contrast between taking a life and giving a life. Look how Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. To illustrate this, uh, this idea and this picture of uh, hatred equaling murder and taking a life, we're given this awesome Old Testament example. And it's the person of Cain. It's Adam's firstborn son, Cain. We see that Cain, you know, the story of Cain, he has a brother named Abel. We always hear them in the same sentence, Cain and Abel. We know that story. They were a part of the same physical family. Their parents were Adam and Eve, but they were not a part of the same spiritual family. Look at verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. The Bible makes it clear that Cain was not of, a, of the family of God. He was not a child of God, but a child of the wicked one of the devil. Cain and Abel were commanded to bring God a sacrifice and commanded to bring God an acceptable sacrifice in his eyes, a, a blood sacrifice. And Cain, being a tiller of the land, he brought a sacrifice that he thought was acceptable to the Lord. He brought a, a fruits and vegetables from, from the earth. And he brought it to God, and God rejected his sacrifice because it wasn't the sacrifice that God had asked for. And Cain grew angry. He was angry, yes, at God for rejecting his sacrifice, but he was also angry at his brother because Abel brought an acceptable sacrifice, and God accepted Abel's sacrifice. And, and the Bible uses the word often to describe Abel as righteous, as we looked last week, sinful and righteous, Cain and Abel. And so his hatred was toward God, yes, for rejecting his sacrifice, but really it was toward his brother Abel because hatred always hates righteousness. And we know that Cain, his actions ultimately led to the murder of his brother. You see, the issue with Cain was his identifying Mark as someone who wasn't a follower of God or a child of God is not that he didn't believe in God. He even worshiped God. Here's what made it clear that he wasn't a believer, a follower, a family, part of the family of God. It's that he hated his brother. Look at verse number 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteousness. The world is in sin and marked by hate, and they will always hate righteousness. You ought to be careful of an attitude in your heart of hatred or disdain to those who want to do what's right. That is clearly a mark of people who do not know God. Because people who know God love the brethren and love righteousness. So Adam's firstborn Cain showed us the example of hatred which eventually led to the taking of a life. But I want us to see another firstborn this evening. I want us to see God's firstborn, his only begotten son. We've already seen tonight that Jesus lived on this earth and he gave us the example of love. As I have loved you, you ought to love one another. But look at Ephesians 5. It says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also, also hath loved us. 
You see, he's the example of love. And so if Cain, the firstborn of Adam, is an example of hatred, which led to taking a life, let's look at God's firstborn, Jesus, who is the example of love. And what does that look like in this world? John 15, Jesus said this to his disciples, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You see, love at his most complete and finished form is that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Greater love hath no man than this. You see, love in its final form is sacrificial. Hatred is taking a life. Love is giving your life. The greatest thing about Jesus is that he didn't just show us his love by laying down his life for his friends. No, look at verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Hereby perceive we. This is how we know. It's how we can understand and grasp the fact that God loves us so much. It's because he laid down his life for us. Someone who's truly a part of the family of God will love other believers in a sacrificial way, following the example of Christ, laying down our lives for others. Look at Romans chapter 5. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth. God showed or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't just die for his friends. You see, he died for the world. He died for his enemy. He willingly gave his life for us, people who were sinners, unable to repay him, people who were against him and hated him and were completely opposed to God, to love and to righteousness, and he willingly gave up his life. Hatred in his final form takes a life, and love in its greatest example lays down its life. Sin and hatred led Cain to take down the life of his brother, where Jesus, the ultimate example of love, freely laid down his life. Murder is sinful. Love is sacrificial. It's interesting to note that the word that the Bible uses in Genesis when describing uh, Cain's murder of his brother Abel is the same word uh, that we see in the book of Leviticus. You have to remember that this time in Genesis, uh, there's not been a murder in the world. There's not even uh, been a recorded death at this time. The only death we see is when, G- uh, when God uh, slays or sacrifices an animal to create a covering for the sins of Adam and Eve after they had sinned. And that word is the same word that we, uh, or, or that example is the same word that we see here. It's the idea of, and I don't mean to be graphic, but, but slitting the throat of an animal for sacrifice. There are other Hebrew words that mean to, to kill or to take a life, but this word specifically has the idea of killing, or, or sac- killing a, uh, an animal for sacrifice. It's the same word we see in Leviticus, uh, where uh, we see the the instruction um, for the children of Israel to kill or to prepare a sacrificial animal. It's the same word. It's almost like Cain is saying to God, here is your sacrifice. (laughs) Here's the sacrifice that you wanted as he took and murdered the life of his brother. Because that's what hatred and murder is in its final form. But how amazing the contrast between Adam's firstborn and God's firstborn. Cain saying, okay, God, here's your sacrifice. Here's the sacrificial death of my brother. And Jesus saying, I will be the sacrificial lamb of God. What a contrast we see in Scripture tonight. Jesus, it's, it's said like this in 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, 
even so in Christ shall all be made alive. What an awesome picture and a contrast between two firstborns tonight. So, so far we've seen this. We've seen that the world is marked by hatred and the Christian is marked by love. The world is of their father, the devil, and the the Christians is of their, their father, God. The world's hatred is demonstrated by Adam's firstborn, Cain, and the Christian's love is demonstrated by God's firstborn, Jesus. The world hates righteousness and ultimately kills because of it. And Jesus loves sinners and ultimately sacrificed because of it. Therefore, if Christians have the love of God in us, we will, as verse 16 says, ultimately sacrifice and lay down our lives for others. So tonight we've seen two contrasts so far. We've seen the contrast between hatred and love. We've seen the contrast between taking a life and laying down your life. And lastly, I want us to notice tonight the contrast between action and indifference. The contrast between action and indifference. Though this is maybe not the, the, uh, the strongest, as strong as hatred or love, this is still an identifying mark of someone who's a family of God, in the family of God or, or not. Those who are truly um, born again and have the love of God dwelling in them will always lean on the side and be marked by action. And those who are not will be marked by indifference. Look at verse 17. The Bible says this, But whoso hath this world's good, possessions or materials, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him? And here's a strong question. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children... Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Here's what the scriptures are teaching us. It's not just enough to say that we love others, but we have to live like we love others because actions always speak louder than words. Don't love in word or in tongue, but in deed, in action, and in truth. We see the picture of someone who who has a material uh, possessions and ability to meet the needs of others and they see the need of the brother and they shut up their bowels of compassion they close the window of compassion and they say i will not meet that need how can the love of god possibly dwell in someone like that because the children of god will always sacrificially give for their brother because they love them And we're following the example that Jesus gave. And isn't that the example that Jesus gave? Look at the ministry of Christ all throughout the New Testament. How many times do we read, and Jesus looked up and saw the multitudes and and had compassion upon them. Compassion has the idea of action. I've heard it said before, compassion. It's it's our feelings. It's uh, what we see in our hearts moving us to do something. And Jesus had compassion upon the multitudes, so he fed them, and he healed them, and he, and, he, and he raised them back to life, and he forgave them their sins. Jude teaches us this, and some having compassion, making a difference. Because Christians who have the love of God in us are always marked by action, not indifference. So it's a good time for us to reflect in our hearts tonight and say, do I love and serve other people the way that Jesus did? Do I have compassion? Do I talk a big talk or do I back it up? You know, recently on our social media, we shared a quote by Oswald Chambers uh, that I've been thinking about. And I'm going to paraphrase it tonight, but basically the idea is this. Never say you'll pray about something. Pray about it. Because sometimes we can say, oh, I'll pray for you, but we fail to 
do in action what we say we'll do with our words. We tell people we love them, but do we really back it up with our sacrificial actions? There's a book uh, that's written by uh, a former lawyer and, and a current Christian leader and author. His name is Bob Goff, and he has a book that's entitled Love Does. And the book is all about this idea of, of putting shoes or putting work boots on your love and, and putting your love in action, not just loving in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I want to read you a quote from his book. Here's what he says. He says, But the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly one because it involves sacrifice and presence. It's a love that operates more like a sign language than being spoken outright. Simply, does, uh, simply put, love does. Guys, love is an action. <laughs> He's saying this, hey, love, the kind of love that Jesus showed us is a love that shows up. It's present. It's a love that gives of themselves. It's sacrificial. That's the kind of love that children of God are marked by, a compassionate, serving, sacrificial love. I was thinking today, and as I was studying for this uh, sermon, about when Aloma and I first went to Bible college. Uh, we went, and it's actually crazy to think about, but it was the end of the summer, um, last week of August, and it's actually six years ago this summer we first went to Bible college. I had actually been working. That was my first summer interning here at Bible Baptist Church, six summers ago. That's crazy to think about. My, so we had, I'd worked here this summer, and then we were preparing off to go and start our Bible college training. Uh, we went to school in California, and uh, we didn't really know many people out there. Neither of us had ever been to California or been to the campus of the Bible college we were going to. So uh, needless to say, it was an overwhelming experience. Uh, we had to apply for visas when we, when we went across the border. Um, there was all kinds of things with setting up new phone systems and, and getting finances taken care of and banking and, and setting up in a new place and meeting new roommates. And there's so many things. I remember my dad, uh, he flew down with us and we... Uh, we were worried about getting our visas at the border, and so even though we had like an early morning flight, like I think a 5.30 flight, we ended up crossing the border into Buffalo at like 11 p.m. just to make sure that we didn't get held up at the border. So we crossed over, and of course it, it went all right, and so we got there hours early to our flight. We like tried to stay the night a little bit and like catch a nap in the truck, but we were, none of us could sleep, and it was hot. And so finally, we, as soon as the airport opened, we got into the airport, and we got on the plane, we made our flight, we, we got off the plane at LAX, which if any of, any of you have been there, it's a crazy busy airport. We walked into like a dead heat. I mean, just dry, hot, 100 degree heat. We found our luggage and we started to drive. We'd been up all night pretty much in and, and the early morning. And now we're set back three hours in a new time zone. And my dad, we rented the car and my dad drove us uh, about an hour and a half to two hours. We drove uh, out of uh, the L.A. area and, and over the mountains, and we started to drive into the desert. I mean, our college that we went to was in the middle of a desert. And it's getting hotter and hotter, and there's less green things, less water, less signs of life. Uh, it doesn't look like Hollywood or Santa Monica anymore. It looks nothing like the movies. It looks like a dry desert. There's tumbleweeds. I mean, this is not looking good. We get to the campus we get registered and, and find our dorms and things like that. We went to some, um, some initiation type things or, or uh, information meetings about the beginning of school. Uh, we dropped off Aloma at her dorm and got her settled. And then my dad came with me into my dorm to get into my room and walked into my room. It was Heritage Hall 2. And I walked down and I found out that uh, there's about 65 or 70 guys in that dorm. I had six people in my room, six, five roommates, uh, one room, 
six guys. So that was fun. And then all 65 or 70 of us, one bathroom. That was fun. And here I am, and we walk into my room, and I meet my first roommates. And obviously, that's a scary experience. You don't know who you're going to be living with for the next couple of semesters. And uh, it's awkward at first, and they seemed a little awkward. And I remember the encouraging, comforting words of my dad. He looked at me, and he said, I don't know, bud. That's what he said. So encouraging and helpful for me to hear in that moment. So we got all of our stuff unpacked, and I'm thinking, man, what am I doing? I made a huge mistake. We went out to try to find Walmart, and Walmart is like three minutes from the campus. It took us over an hour. We couldn't find it. We didn't have a GPS. Our phones weren't working in the, in the new country. So we went, and we finally got all the stuff we needed at Walmart. We got back, and we were starving. We'd been up all night, all day. We got back to the campus cafeteria and found out that we missed dinner. It had been, it's closed. Sorry. All the food's gone. We closed up. You missed dinner. At this point, my dad had to drive another hour and a half back into L.A. County, stay the night at a hotel, and he had an early flight to get back to Canada for work. And so he looked at me. He was exhausted and bagged, and he said, I got to go. I wasn't expecting at that moment. So there in the parking lot, we said our goodbyes. My dad drove off. Alom and I are standing in the parking lot looking at each other like, what have we done? The next thing on the schedule for the day was uh, like an opening service. And so we went back to our dorms. We split up, and we're going to get changed for the service. I walked into my room, and and another one of my roommates that I hadn't met there, met yet, was was in the room getting ready as well. He introduced himself. His name was Stephen. Immediately, Stephen had a different excitement, a different energy. This is his third year on the college campus. And we began to talk, and as I unpacked my clothes and got changed, he began to comment on the clothes that I had, and, and he began to take an interest in me. He started to ask about me and, and, uh, and show a genuine care and interest in my life. He said, hey, come on, come with me. As soon as I got ready, come with me. I want to take you down the hall. I want, I want you to meet my friends. He took me into another room, and I met guys like Austin and Peter. These are guys who are still some of my great friends today. We left that, I left that dorm, and I walked across the campus to chapel, not alone, not by myself, not discouraged, but with a group of people, with a community of people who made me feel so much better. They said, hey, hey no, you're going to sit with us tonight. Hey, I'm going to introduce you to my friends. Hey, we're, we're going to take you around. We're going to show you around. And those are guys who I stayed close with all throughout my years of college. They completely changed our attitude and our experience. Why? Because they simply acted. Stephen saw how I was feeling, and he put himself in in, in my shoes, and he took action. He didn't just say, oh yeah, I should probably, you know, uh, pray for that guy. He looks like he's struggling, or oh man, it doesn't seem like he's happy to be here. No, he loved me in a sacrificial way. He acted. He did something about it. He welcomed me with open arms. He showed love for the brethren, and in that moment, I really needed it, and he completely changed the beginning of my college experience for me. You see, that's what love does. And I say that word purposely, love does. Love puts others' needs above its own. Love doesn't talk about it, love does it. Love takes action. Love has compassion. Love sees a need and meets it, knowing that as we've learned in our Sunday morning series, that one day someone else in our community will be there to meet the need for us because that's what we do for the brethren because we love each other. And so here's the challenge we've seen from the scriptures tonight. It's threefold. It's a contrast. We've seen the contrast between hatred and the contrast between love. We've seen the contrast explained in the lives of Cain and the life of Jesus, a firstborn 
who hated righteousness and took a life. And we've seen a firstborn who loved sinners and gave his life. And we've seen the example that we ought to live lives of sacrificial love and compassion. So I encourage you tonight to do some self-evaluation. Look at your own life. Is your life marked by your love for the brethren? Are you following the example of your heavenly father and his firstborn son, Jesus? Are you loving others the way that he has loved you? What member of the brethren are you willing and going to serve this week? What need are you going to meet? What way has God blessed you so that you can bless someone else? Let's not talk about it. Let's do it. Let's be the church. More than ever in a time when we're spread apart and some of us are watching online and some of us are here in person and and we're so much more spread apart, more than ever, we need each other not to just love in word, not to just love in tongue, but to love in deed and in truth. I hope that tonight that you'll take some of those things to to heart. I hope that you'll uh, make a decision this week to love with action, to love the way Christ did, and to show compassion to others. And I hope that you have a greater understanding for this text and this passage as we see the great contrast and the identifying marks between those who are the children of God and those who are the children of the devil. I want to say thank you again for tuning in tonight, and I I do hope it's been a blessing and a help to you. I hope that you're uh, more uh, excited, more encouraged, and prepared uh, to serve the Lord this week and to serve others this week. And if this has been a blessing to you, uh, maybe take a minute right now to share it with a friend, um, send it to somebody or share it to your feed. um, And if it's been a help to you, perhaps it'd be a help to someone else. But hope you guys have a great week. If there's anything we can do for you uh, or pray for you about, please feel free to let us know. Thanks again for being here tonight, and I hope you guys have a good evening.